You can see that brands are questioning not only their practices and their methodologies and their traditional ways of working and collaborating with their customer prior to what's been happening in the world, but you look at brands like even Ben & Jerry's, right? And I think questioning the norm and putting that narrative out there is so powerful and it's risky, but it's a risk that needs to be taken. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. What does it mean to be an inclusive brand? Nowadays, it's not just about marketing, it's not just about messaging, and it's not just about expanding your pool of models for your next big photo shoot. To be an inclusive brand and retailer, you really need to take a close look at the foundation of what your business stands for. And that foundation should guide everything. Of course, the marketing, of course, the customer engagement, but most notably, the product development. For today's episode, we're bringing back a conversation from RetailX that I had with Lisa Amlani of Retail Strategy Group. And Lisa is amazing because not only is she extremely opinionated about what brands and retailers need to do to be successful today, but she also has firsthand experience. She has deep roots in not just retail, but in merchandising and product development. So I was especially thrilled to sit down with her, pick her brain, and really get to the root of the big issues that are happening in apparel, and other areas of retail today. Listen in for an insightful and very transparent conversation around what's happening in this world. Lisa, we're finally doing this. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Oh my God. And we're at Retail X. We are on the show floor at the Retail Touchpoints booth right now. Masked up, socially distanced overall. How does it feel to be out in the world again? Honestly, it feels so good. I'm so energized. Um, Definitely cautious. Of course, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I love the way everything is super spread out and people are masked. There's sanitizing stations everywhere. So from a safety perspective, I feel pretty good. Other than that, energized. I love retail. It's my favorite subject ever. That's why we're here. I know, and we're going to talk about A few different trends, I think, that we're seeing in the space, especially around consumer trends, merchandising. But before we do that, I do want to give you your time in the spotlight. I'm hoping everyone listening now knows you, but you're a retail expert, commentator, writer, member of the Retail Wire Brain Trust, LinkedIn power user. (laughs) You are everywhere. But for those who don't know you, why don't you share a little bit about you and most of all your history in retail, right? Because there's a background there that I think is important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I literally have spent my entire life in fashion and retail from a small child (laughs) designing clothes. And I did go to a fashion school, pretty much spent about 20 years in merchandising and buying spent a lot of time in industry and product development, worked with Ralph Lauren, Club Monaco, Nike, lots of great department stores like Holt Renfrew, yeah, Harrods. I have literally 
lived Done everywhere. Done it all. And Been everywhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> About three years ago, I actually ventured into the world of consulting, the weird world of consulting. Mm-hmm. And I actually was scooped up by Accenture to be part of their Softline's merchandising expertise team. Wow. There weren't a lot of clients in Canada, but the U.S. team heard about me that, oh my God, there's a merchant here. So (laughs) I basically wrote the merchandising of the future point of view. I worked with, let's call them a now a $50 billion apparel and Mm, footwear company. I'm sure everybody knows who that is. Uh, Worked on speed to market, materials management, sustainability, um, DTC. I have done a lot. But the best part of my entire career is that last year, you know, as most people do during pandemic, you start your own business. So I started my own firm, Retail Strategy Group, and under that, a media channel, I call it, which is The Merchant Life, which is, I have a newsletter, I have a podcast, I have, I write everywhere, I tweet, I do. Instagram. <laughs> I your do your all speed the is incredible. I'm like, how does she do this so fast? How does she do all of these things? Yes, I don't know. I'm sure I could be faster. <laughs> I think I need to lose like 20 years off my life and become a Gen Z or something. Oh my God. Let's not. No. Well, we are probably going to talk about Gen Z yes. a little bit, yes. but because I do want to pick your merchandiser brain a little bit because I've been seeing a lot of movement, a lot of shifting conversations around merchandising. Obviously, consumer behaviors are changing. Mm-hmm. This past year, it's kind of been a well, a mess, I guess, if we want to be blunt about it, as far as, you know, pinpointing what consumers want and yep. need. So I would love to get your take on what you're hearing in the market now, because obviously we're in back to school times, we know it will be holiday time. How are retailers rethinking things or, or trying to rethink things so they can be a bit more adaptable and responsive to what consumers are saying they want right now? I love this question. And I think what the pandemic really did was it put a spotlight on planners, retail planners, how we retail, how we merchandise, how we build product mix. And the pandemic not only shifted customer behavior, but it also put another spotlight on how we develop product, what product goes into landfills, why are we buying so much, why are we consuming so much. So uh, that really made I'd say merchants and planners and product developers and creators uh, think about overdevelopment and overbuying, minimum order quantities, questioning traditional methods, and enabling digitization across that product creation process to be faster to market, to align with customer values and getting closer to the customer with keeping sustainability on top of mind, transparency, traceability, ethical ways of development, who is actually making your clothes, who is farming the cotton. You know, I don't have to go through all the news reports and talk about, you know, the Suez Canal and what's happening in China with the cotton ban. So I think the, the most beautiful thing that happened with the pandemic is that customers questioned where product was being made and how product was being made and why we had so much product in the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's been interesting to see this shift from, well, gradual shift, I guess you could say, because obviously there are some consumers that still rely on fast fashion, for example, but others are being a bit more mindful of where things come from, how they're created, the conditions of workers even. You know, it's a bit of a domino effect. I think that the more you think about how did this thing end up at my doorstep or in my drawer, And it's been enlightening, I think, to see consumers ask some of these pointed questions and encourage their brands to 
to rise to the occasion and at least change some things. I mean, H&M is trying to make some yep. moves with their sustainability and resale initiatives. So it's, I guess it's safe to say that the old ways of product development and merchandise strategy are kind of flipped on its head, right? Because we're considering so many different sources now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as retailers and brands try to get closer to their customers, shift to a more DTC model, reduce some of those layers within the supply chain to understand who is making product and what are the bottlenecks, what are the redundancies that we could remove and let's reduce some of those manual ways of working so that we can get faster to market, so that we can get closer to the customer and possibly collaborate with them before sampling thousands and thousands of dollars of a product that doesn't even actually hit the shop floor. Yeah, so, so as we dig a little bit deeper into what consumers want, obviously transparency is becoming a big one. Probably options, so like having the option of buying something that's a bit more ethical or sourced from local artisans. Yes. But there are also rapid shifts in like if the brass tacks of fashion trends, right? Like I'm seeing a lot of more androgynous fashion emerging, gender neutral fashion. Mm -hmm. And also just like the emergence or re-emergence rather of like 90s based trends, right? Like which is very fascinating for me because I'm like, why did I give away all of my clothes? (laughs) It's all coming back now. But that's a lot of insight that I could imagine rests in like so many different places. So I guess my question for you is around where all of these insights currently are, like where do planners need to be and designers need to be to ensure that they're positioning their product or developing their product in the right way? I think it really comes down to let's get the right data first. Let's ask the right questions to inspire product design and product creation and, and planning. Planning is, is very creative, right? It's art and science meeting together. So understanding not only the sources of data and getting closer to that customer, but really using data-driven insights to give retailers and brands a better idea of who their customer is, what their customer is looking for, and how can we align with their values, especially around sustainability and localization. And as a woman of color, I will tell you that representation matters. And as we look at the product that we're creating or the assortments that we're putting together, you know, at a department store, are we really representing our customer? And are we aligning with the values that are important to them? Mm -hmm. And that not only builds trust, but it will also build loyalty. And from a business perspective, that accounts to full price sales, right? Yes, the bottom line matters, (laughs) absolutely. We are, this is a business, but we can do it in an authentic way. Yep, 100%. I'm glad you brought up the brand partnerships because we've been keeping an eye on organizations like the 15% pledge, even just the standalone initiatives that brands are doing. I think Ulta has done a very good job of integrating more diverse product sets, um, partnering with up and coming brands, independent brands, um, and good market as well. That's more of like a charitable giving slash mission-based retail lens. But Vera Bradley, the parent company, wanted to curate companies that were very small, didn't know how to scale, and they did this good market concept to give these companies not just space on the shelf, but resources. Like people from their team are helping them with social strategy and marketing and business guidance. 
And I think it speaks to this bigger need for greater collaboration between yeah. the brands and the retailers, which yes. I know has always been a contentious point in our coverage. But I mean, where do you think that's going? Do you think we're starting to see and realize those benefits and therefore it's happening a bit more? Or do you think there's still that divide that needs to be bridged? I think that there's been a good start. Yeah. <laughs> and the more that we can collaborate with local designers, local artisans or inclusive brands, I think that we're going to speak to the customer in a way that we've never spoken to them before. I think that Nordstrom does a great job with that as well. So does Sephora. I think the beauty industry, I feel like, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of apparel. Right. That's yeah, interesting. Right? Interesting to look at it from a vertical perspective, you know, beauty compared to even CPG, right? You can see that brands are questioning not only their practices and their methodologies and their traditional ways of working and collaborating with their customer prior to what's been happening in the world, but you look at brands like even Ben & Jerry's, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think questioning the norm and putting that narrative out there is so powerful and it's risky, but it's a risk that needs to be taken. Yeah, 100%. And it's interesting too, because there is this demand, there's this opportunity to drive positive change, be a part of the folds, meaning this is something your consumers say they want, so it's your job to provide it to the best possible level. But then at the same time, it's like, well, consumers want more and they want faster and they want yeah. it all the time. So is there a way to strike that balance? Or do you think we're, we're at this point where we just have to pick which lane we want to be in and, and focus on doing it right. I think it really comes down to being as authentic as possible. And that doesn't mean that you need to adhere to traditional fashion seasons or sizing. For example, I mean, let's talk about Old Navy mm -hmm. this week. Great, great move for Old Navy, considering what was happening last year where brands were removing extended sizing yes. plus and petite. So what Old Navy is doing is listening to their customers, actually walking the shop floor, seeing who is shopping the brand and what is missing and how it's making people feel. And that just brings that emotional value and just feeling back into shopping. I mean, shopping should be fun. Yeah. It should be inclusive. And yes, we used to talk about retail therapy back in the yeah. day. I haven't heard that in a long time. But I mean, there's something to be said about even going shopping as a family mm -hmm. or going shopping with your friends and seeing that, you know what, all your friends can shop in the same store and everyone can yep. fit into the same, same style of jeans or whatever the case is. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And yeah. as a person who just loves retail, I will tell you that this move is beautiful and brilliant on their part. And I want more brands to get on board. And I don't know if you read some of the comments on Retail Wire uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> about, about this story. And this is one of the reasons that I put my voice out there as a woman of color, as a former merchant, because I understand how sizing is just such a gong show. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> And the fact that Old Navy is even doing this, I think is just awesome from a product development perspective. 
but you see some of the comments out there and they question oh but what about this and what about men sizing and this is inclusive of men and women let's make that clear but it's not about picking a lane it's about let's include everybody right. that is shopping in our store and now a word from our sponsor retail is embarking on a new digital driven era what new opportunities await for your business what new ideas are just waiting to be discovered? You can find it all at the 2021 Retail Innovation Conference. We're going digital again. For two jam-packed days of tactical sessions, thought-provoking discussions, and AI-powered matchmaking and mentoring sessions with some of retail's brightest minds. Join executives from Neiman Marcus, Adore Me, and Crate and & Barrel for one of the industry's top events on all things innovation. Register for free. Yeah, you heard that right. At RetailInnovationConference.com. That's RetailInnovationConference.com. I remember back in the 90s, there was this store, oh my God, was it 357 or 579? But it was literally like they only carried those sizes. Oh. And like that was like their whole like oh my thing. God. <laughs> it was juniors, obviously. But I remember being like, oh, like I can't I know I can't what store you're there. talking about. Yes. You remember? Yes. And like it seemed like back in the 90s, it was all about like, and like, listen, we all need to create something for our customer. And I understand that that's just the nature of good business. But your customer isn't one dimensional. It's not exactly. just one specific body type or one specific yeah. size or one specific style even. Yep. That's why I think it's very exciting to be in fashion now or, or even just be passionate about fashion because I think those boundaries are expanding a little bit more. But I think it raises the question too of how do we meet this extended portrait of our customer, right? And be able to provide for those larger sizes because I, I'm sure like profits came up and like, oh, oh yes. well, how many customers are in that sizing group? Well, honestly, a lot of them, like look yeah. at the average size of yep. the American woman, but that's neither here nor there, but that's always the argument, right? Like the yep. profitability of these decisions. Yep. So, I mean, is there opportunity for innovation for embracing technology in order for this to be more customer relevant and even more localized even like I feel like there's something there yep. that we need to uncover yep I agree and it really comes down to marrying that art and science that I love to talk about as well with data and actually walking the shop floor yeah so understanding who your customer is what they're shopping online what are they looking for that they can't find it's important to understand what are the gaps in your product mix, why are people abandoning their cart, what is frustrating them, and why do they keep coming back to you to look for right. something that does, is not there. So that means you need to serve your customer in the best way possible, which is talking to them, looking at their shopping behavior, or even like what they like to do. Let's. Let's understand there's a lot of data out there. It's really around sifting through the data, having the right people in place to drive insights from that data to help, help you drive product decisions, merchandising decisions, creation decisions, even visual merchandising decisions. How That's true. Are there a lot of families shopping in your store and strollers don't fit in your laneways? That's oh, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I can tell you that I have seen Been it there. myself uh, shopping with my sister at H&M because they do great kids clothes at a great price and she could not fit the stroller in yep. the laneway. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. 
we spoke to the manager about it because you know that's just the that's, person I that's am. That's how you roll. <laughs> yep. I'm like, okay, tell me. You know, you can see that there are at least five customers in your store in this kids section, baby section, and you have put so much product in the fixtures that the fixtures are literally next to each other. I go, is there any way that you think as a store manager, how could you do this better? Can you question your uh, visual merchandising team from uh, the corporate office to say, hey, uh, people with strollers cannot fit in these mm -hmm. laneways. Like, let's let's see who's shopping yeah. and let's get closer to that customer, get to know them. Yeah. And I think that's how retailers are going to succeed from a size perspective, from a product mix perspective, and also from a value perspective. I love it. Lisa, I feel like we can go on and on, but yes. I feel like this yes, is the can. first of <laughs> several discussions we can have around product development, product innovation, especially in fashion. But for now, I'm gonna let you go and enjoy the rest of your time at the show. Thank, Thank you so you. much for joining me. My pleasure. Great to be here. Thank you. And uh, to all of you, hope you enjoy this conversation. If you have any follow-up questions or comments for us, we would love to hear from you. Even frustrations about you know the sizing process. Um, drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or through LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review. Um, your reviews are what get us spotlighted in recommended podcasts. It's what get the, gets the word out so we can get better guests. The cycle goes on. So again, leave us a review and share your voice. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up. <laughs>